There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Wow! Nice! Yeah! What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and t-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Welcome back to another episode of the How I Quit Alcohol podcast. For first-time listeners, please be aware that not all of the conversations within this podcast are suitable for children. I'd also like to add a trigger warning that sometimes the conversations can get a little heavy. We may talk about things like sexual abuse, domestic violence, drug use and alcohol use. And if you feel that that may trigger you, please do not tune in. Also, I'd like to add, if you are a heavy daily drinker, please seek the help of a medical practitioner before quitting alcohol. This podcast comes to you from beautiful Bunjalung country. Please kick back and enjoy. Grab yourself your favorite alcohol-free bevy. And if you haven't already, do a gal a favor. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Monday Distillery. Monday Distillery is a new age beverage company revolutionising the way we look at having a night out with friends. They make sophisticated, non-alcoholic beverages that are sugar-free and full of social graces. Now you can enjoy a good time, love what you drink and love yourself the next day too. Stay high in spirits, keep a clear mind. Cheers to Monday. Are you sick of feeling controlled by alcohol? Do you want to drink less? Do you wake up on a Sunday morning feeling really anxious and full of regret? I'm Danny Carr and welcome to my podcast, How I Quit Alcohol. Hi, and welcome back to How I Quit Alcohol. Today in the Zoom room, I'm pretty excited about this next guest. She is the partner of my beautiful nephew, Joshua. Her name is Elise Kermain. She's from Melbourne. She's a young mum to beautiful Cooper, who's one year old just recently and has been doing the sobriety thing for a while now. So we sort of connected and chatted about that. And I, of course, begged her to come on to the podcast (laughs) and share her story. So welcome, Elise. How are you? Thanks, Danny. It's um, really good to be here. I am good. I'm going well. Amazing. How long have you been sober for now? So I started my sobriety journey Two years ago, I pretty much got sick of my own bullshit. I had been trying for years to moderate. I'd do weeks or months off alcohol at a time and then i think, I've got this, I'm fine. And I'd have a huge binge, be out all weekend, be sick in bed. And it got to the point where I didn't like the person that I was anymore. And I decided that was it. I'm going to start my sobriety journey. Wow. That's amazing. It just sounds like all of us really, that same kind of thing of like binging, moderating, waking up, hating yourself. I don't want to do that anymore. And the, the cycle just goes. So take us back to when you first started drinking, give us a little snapshot of your history. Yeah. Okay. So I come from a very big family of drinkers. There is myself and then I have five younger brothers. We grew up in Melbourne. Pretty much my family would always have 
parties at our house, my early memories are, we were quite lucky we had a tennis court and my parents would have on a Friday night, their friends would come over and all the kids would come over and they'd have a bit of a tennis competition. Obviously a lot of drinking and all of us kids would run around and play. And then we also had a cattle farm up in Bonnie Doon. So we would also be up there a lot and it was a lot of drinking after you finished work. So growing up, that was what I was accustomed to. So it was probably when I was about 13 or 14 when I first started having a few sips of alcohol and then was pretty well into it by 16, 17, mostly at our farm. So it would be your lemon, lime, vodka, stollies, those kind of drinks. And then once I hit 18 and could buy my own alcohol, it would be driving to the farm and buying a bottle of vodka to drink, feeling like I'm a grown up, I'm fitting in. This is kind of the cool thing to do. And Obviously, when you're at school as well, sort of in year 12, everyone was going to parties and I would convince my mum, oh, you know, let us get a four pack. I'll share it with some friends. And sort of everyone was telling their mum they're going to share it with their friends and nobody's sharing it. You're all having it to yourself. So it was just what everyone was doing. So I was doing it too. So when you were younger, when you were 15, 16, did your parents know that you were drinking then? Yes, we'd be at our farm drinking. You were doing at the farm. Yeah. I first started drinking unsupervised, probably at about 16, 17, going to school parties. But my first experiences with drinking was at the farm. I think my parents' mentality was a bit like, if they're doing it here with us, then they're not going to be passing out on a footy field or whatever. But that type of drinking develops later anyway. What do you think of that theory? Because it's one that comes up a bit, Mm. that whole conversation of how to speak to your kids or how to Mm. deal with your kids and their drinking. For us, I always thought I'd be like that, but then I've seen Mm. it go horribly pear-shaped as well where parents are, yeah, I'd rather them drink in front of me, but then you're kind of giving them the go-ahead to do Mm. something that their body and their brain is not ready for. What's your take on that now? It's definitely a tricky topic especially being a young mum and trying to think, well, what is the best thing that I'm going to do? How am I going to speak to Cooper about it? I don't know that there's really a right answer. Like looking back, I think we thought that we were fitting in and we were really cool. And I didn't really feel the need to be sneaking out with my friends back in Melbourne to drink because it didn't seem like the forbidden fruit. Like I don't need to hide it. My parents are pretty open with drinking. I'd grown up around it a lot. So it didn't really seem like this thing that needed to be hidden. So in some respects, I think my parents did a good job because I wasn't ever hiding my drinking. Even once I got a bit out, bit older and I'd be blackout drunk, it was sort of more of a bit of a joke rather than, hey, this might actually be a bit of a serious issue. So how am I going to speak to Cooper about it when he's older? I'm not sure yet. Yeah, we're still navigating that and thinking about mm. that. At the moment, it's a, it's a strong no. Yeah. And not that Sunny's asked. She's 14 and she's not really shown any interest I think she hears enough of the podcast. Yes. <laughs> hears the stories. She probably thinks, fuck, never touching that stuff. Yes. But it's interesting, isn't it? Because as you know, being part of my family, that we're also big yes. drinkers and that's how you kind of felt accepted. I know for me, it was how I felt accepted. It's how yeah. I fitted in with my family who I desperately wanted to fit in with. Exactly what you said then too, if I would get shit-faced and have a blackout, it was just kind of laughed about like no one said hey or if anything like some of the family members were making the drink stronger as well even when Josh and I first got together a big factor of our relationship was that your family drank as much as my family drank so it wasn't as if oh I'm a really big drinker and I'm coming to meet your family like what are they going to think of my drinking if anything I felt oh this is great I just fit in and I actually remember going down to Michelle's house your sister and Josh and I were getting alcohol to sit around the bonfire and drink and I bought one bottle of red wine and I thought that's probably not enough I'll get a second bottle and I got so drunk and I woke up in the middle of the night and had to go and throw up and then so all morning I was throwing up, like having just met my partner's family. I look back and I think, how embarrassing. Ah, Yeah, I know. And Josh (laughs) was just like, it is what it is. Like, it's not a big thing. And that was part of my drinking. Every time and towards the end, I would be throwing up the next day. It was just came hand in hand and I just accepted. It doesn't matter how much I drink because I'm going to end up throwing throwing up later anyway. Oh, Ash had a completely different experience with our family because Ash's family, they're sporty, like they're obsessed with soccer. None of them really drink. No one drinks. It was so weird to go to their family Christmas and be like, oh, dude, this is different. (laughs) Like everyone's just 
not drinking. Yeah. Or if I bought a bottle of wine, it would be a bit tut tut. Wow. <laughs> and then Ash, I mean, he liked it, but that was part of what you had to do, like to kind of yes. fit in. And he and my dad would start drinking together and they that's how they bonded. That's how yes. they got together or with my brother and my sisters. That was just I remember one of my sisters, Natalie, lap dancing on Ash one Christmas <laughs> <laughs> right before he threw up all over himself trying to fit in because my dad was also piling like more alcohol for him. Yeah. So it's interesting that when it's that family's culture, it's big and everyone yeah. seems to do it. I guess, that, yeah, that is how you fit in. So how did it, I'm probably jumping ahead here, did it feel strange for you, especially with my family, like with my sister mm. and then also with your own family to break the mould? How oh, Danny, it is still hard to this day. When I first decided that I wanted to get sober, I was sort of influenced. One of my brothers the year before, I got sober in on the 1st of January 2021, I quit alcohol. The year before, one of my brothers had been at the farm and he wasn't drinking. And I was like, why aren't you drinking? Like, you're so boring. I was a real drink pusher. And he just said, no, I'm doing 30 days off alcohol. And I could not fathom it. I didn't understand what he was doing. And I really gave him a hard time. And I went to bed that night and thought, why is this upsetting me so much that he's not drinking? I sort of sat with it for a while. And then I realized it was because I don't think that I could have gone to the farm and not drank. So when I eventually did decide that I was giving up alcohol at first, I did, I just said to myself, I'm going to do dry jam, 30 days sober. In that time, I had my best friend's birthday, 10 days in, and we were going to a wine and cocktail bar. Oh my God. It was so challenging. But then after that, we're going to my farm, maybe a weekend later. And I knew that that would be the big challenge for me being at the farm. And so I kept saying to my family, no, I'm just doing 30 days sober. It's not a big deal. And I got a lot of pushback. And even now I get a lot, like I was at the farm two weeks ago with my dad and it was just the two of us. And we got back into the house and sitting down for dinner. And he said, are you getting a drink? And I was like, dad, I don't drink. And he's like, oh yeah, but one. And I was like, no, I don't drink. And then I do still fall back on, oh, but I'm a mum. I've just stopped breastfeeding. Well, now it's last October, but no, I want to get pregnant again soon. Like I come up with these excuses and reasons to almost make myself feel better, but to stop people from pushing, oh, but why don't you have one? Why don't you have one? And I did even last uh, October, I had stopped breastfeeding and we had a races day planned with my family. It was an event I'd organised for work and I decided I wanted to have a glass of rosé. Rosé had been my thing that I, that was the only alcohol I really missed once I quit drinking. I had this idea in my mind what it was going to be like, you know, maybe I could go back to drinking and I'll, I'll be one of those people. I can just have one or two. So we're at the races and it had sort of become this big thing with my family. The girl who was working at our tent knew I was having my first glass of rosé. So she was sort of really into it. And I had half a glass and I remember the first sip being like, oh, this is so nice. And by the second step, I was like, I've got a headache. My stomach is hurting. My anxiety is kicking up straight away. And I ended up, I don't even think I finished it. I loaded it up with ice and I was a bit like, yeah, that's it. And my mum was there and she said, oh, you're going to have another one. Did you miss it? Blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, no, I don't want to have another one. And I said to Josh, I've got a raging headache. I want to wrap this up. I want to go home sort of thing. So we left not that long after. Uh, Your body was telling you no. No. And it was just, I could feel it straight away. And I remember in my early days of getting sober, I listened to an audio book, Quit Like a Woman. Oh yeah. Holly Whitaker. Yeah. It was, it was really good. Some of it didn't speak to me, but I really enjoyed it. And I think one of the things that she says is alcohol is literally poison. You are drinking poison. And that just always stuck in my mind. And so when I was having this sip of alcohol, I was just thinking, this is literally poison. I'm poisoning myself. And I just could not stop that voice in the back of my head being like, you're poisoning yourself. And it didn't, didn't feel right. Yeah. Huberman on his podcast, I don't know if you heard the Huberman one where he talks about alcohol, it's phenomenal. Mm. He talks about all the, the toxic effects of alcohol and how it is effectively poisoning us. Mm. But he actually says that when you're drunk, when you're intoxicated, you're poisoned. Yes. Just like, wow. So every time someone's drunk or tipsy, they're in effect, they're poisoning themselves. Like I said before, I was drinking to throw up. I was drinking to black out. So now that I look back and I feel like I'm better educated around drinking, I think I was always giving myself alcohol poisoning. How silly is that? Looking back and having two years of separation from alcohol, is there any reason you feel that was driving you to essentially seeking oblivion? 
I think a big part of my drinking as well was my family have addiction problems. My mum's side of the family, specifically, my mum is a big drinker and her brother died of a heroin overdose before I was born. So there's addiction. I believe that addiction is genetic. So that sort of started to raise its head, I suppose, in my late 20s when I was realising I don't have control of this. I can't stop. And I think a lot of my drinking was I wanted to fit in. When I was drinking, it made me feel comfortable. I felt like I could talk to people. I felt socially awkward when I was sober. And what do you do with your hands? You need to have a drink in your hands to talk. Like it was just, it made me feel comfortable being in social situations. And I think a lot of it as well is that you are effectively numbing yourself from your life. And so when I got sober, I had to really have a think about what was happening in my life that I wanted to run away from and what did I not enjoy because I have an amazing life so that was something that I have done a lot of work on and I've been in therapy I've sort of always gone through therapy I'm a big believer in having support for mental health but I specifically got involved in going through my sobriety journey and why do I want to be sober and that was a big help for me once I realized what was going on. Did you get to the bottom of it a bit more? Yeah, I think a lot of it is definitely trying to fit in and wanting to feel accepted by the people you're around, feel connection. That's a big thing that I've found. And there's certainly things in my life, like I have spoken to you about my brother passing away in 2015. And quite soon after that, at that time, I was working in the Air Force. I was a military working dog handler. So we worked in Air Force security effectively. And I deployed very, very quickly after my brother passed away. And I think I didn't process that. I didn't want to be in touch with my feelings. I didn't want to live in the reality that was my life. And so I sort of just pushed that away. And then once I got home from that deployment, I was diagnosed with anxiety and depression from there. And then my drinking just escalated onwards. Yeah, like I said, sort of 2022 was a pretty dark year and I had just had enough. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. Have you been able to process that grief a little easier or now that you're sober? It's still hard. And I think grief, like we've spoken about before, it's not linear and it's something that some days you're fine and you don't really think about it. And then other days it just really knocks you over. So Mm. I would find that alcohol, well, alcohol is a depressant. Mm. So when I would drink very frequently, I was getting to the point where I was becoming very upset about my brother's death and other things that happen in your life, different traumas that you haven't dealt with. And so Mm. it was those points, particularly in 2020, when my mind would become very dark and I sort of got to the point And the last time that I had a big drinking session, the next day I woke up and I was scared because I thought, I don't know what I'm going to do when I'm drinking. I might accidentally die. And so I just thought, this is enough. Like I can't be risking my life for alcohol. Wow. So were you thinking quite dark thoughts when you're in that space, like as that trauma's coming up? Yeah, like I would sort of, it would be a snowball effect. I would start thinking about my brother. He was tragically killed in a workplace accident. So I would start thinking about that and then it would just spiral and you would, or I would become so negative and quite upset. And it was often at the end of drinking, like the end of a drinking session, I was renowned for being able to almost drink anyone under the table. And I was very proud of that. So it would quite often get to the end of a drinking session and I would be the only one left up. And so then the thoughts would start to come into my head. And a couple of times I had probably three drinking occasions when my mind was just very dark and I just thought, I'm so sick of my life. I just want to break from my life. Like my life is too hard. And the next day I would wake up and have such bad anxiety and have a real fear for my safety. I just couldn't trust myself. Wow. It's so scary, isn't it? It's really scary. I read a statistic Um, the other day about suicide and I can't remember the exact number, but it was a huge amount, the percentage. I think it might have been 90%. People are often intoxicated. And it's like, wow, we had a very close family. It was a partner of one of my other nephews and she she committed suicide and she was drunk and she did it. Mm -hmm. And you just can't help but think, oh, I wonder if that would have been different if you were, you know, sober. It's very scary. Yeah. And it's also like when I was drunk, it was high risk behavior. It was engaging in things that I would not, not do when I was sober and drinking to excess, drinking to really 
alcohol poisoning, blacking out. I was going through a period as well. I know that you've spoken about it where I would take sleeping tablets when I got home because mm-hmm. then I thought, well, I'll sleep off my hangover and I'll wake up mm-hmm. sort of past the worst of it. And you don't know what stress you're putting on your body. Oh, every time I think about that, like I'd only remembered that recently and talking about it in a podcast, it's like, holy shit, that's right. And that's so scary. It is. Yeah. I think once I took a lot of sleeping tablets and woke up and then took more because I couldn't remember having taken them. And then I remembered sort of, it was hazy, this memory the next day and I'm like, oh my God, like this has to stop. Yeah. Yeah, So, so scary. But I remember other times as well, probably early 20s and having lost a couple of close friends then and drinking on top of that and that kind of darkness, this Mm. big, heavy darkness that would come along with it and Mm. feeling like I just want to be with them, Mm. I don't want to be here, that Mm. that kind of stuff. Everything just snowballs, like you you say, and because it is a depressant. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And grief, I know grief is so hard, believe me, I know, but grief is just so much better dealt with when we can process what needs yeah. to be processed. And, and I think if, a lot of, can. yeah, what I found with my own grief is learning to sit with the feelings a lot of the time through really probably until this last year with a new therapist that I have been seeing, I had been looking to always run away from the feelings. Like I was suffering from anxiety and depression. Okay. How do I stop that? I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to feel that. And a lot of that was with grief. I didn't want to feel sad or I didn't want to think about it so I'd be drinking but you're actually just making things worse for yourself whereas now when I have hard days and I am struggling I just sit with it and go okay well today's a bad day I'm missing my brother or whatever else is going on in your life but you can sit with the feeling and know well this will pass tomorrow will be a better day or do some self-care or whatever you need to do to get through it but it's not forever whereas with drinking it was great now I feel anxious great, now who have I pissed off? Like you're just creating more problems for yourself, trying to run away from those feelings. Yeah, absolutely. It's like you're drinking to cope with the situation or Mm. or the grief or really any situation that might be showing up. And then the next day, unfortunately, that grief is still present. Mm. And then we're having to send out apology texts the next day as well. It's like it piles everything on top. So tell me, you've had that last session where you're starting to think, okay, this is not safe perhaps Mm. for me anymore. Tell us a little bit more about that decision and what else spurred that on and then how you went about it. So I actually have a funny story that I haven't told you yet that I will link into this and it's a bit of a all the way around moment, full circle moment. But what was also happening in my last year of drinking was Josh and I were starting to have some pretty big fights when we were drunk. Josh, in my mind, would be a bit of a smart ass. And my drunk reaction is like, I'm not putting up with that. And so we would end up having these big fights. But it was becoming like when I think it was in the November, we had a Christmas lunch at my mum's house and we were all just so, so drunk. And Josh ended up getting a taxi back to our house, which was on the other side of the city without me without even telling me he was leaving. One of my brothers said Josh has left. And I was like, what the hell? So I obviously cracked it, but I knew that I had the house keys with me. So I thought, ha ha, joke's on you. (laughs) So I got home and he had gone to one of his friend's houses. So then I thought, oh, well, he must be kicking on. Like he thinks that he's going to get away with this. So I called him. He wouldn't answer the phone. I had a fight with his friend whose house he was at. And then I got into our house and I went upstairs and I just had a full-blown tantrum. And I ended up literally on the floor, like a two-year-old kicking and screaming. And I kicked through our wall. And it wasn't until the next week that I realized not only had I kicked through one wall, I kicked through into the cupboard in the next room. So I had to, yeah, I had to hire somebody to obviously come and clean that up. And when Josh got home the next day, we both sort of said, you know, this isn't very good. We're really spiraling here. And we both agreed we wouldn't argue anymore. So then for the next couple of months, we decided that when we were drinking, we'd both say to each other, have a good night, let's not fight. And it was New Year's Eve and we were away with my brother and his fiance at the time, now wife. And we were all down at the Apollo pub and we had had a boozy lunch. That was great. We went out for dinner and I thought it was a good idea to be drinking double and triple vodka sodas Oof. just on a mission. 
And there was some altercation at the pub and we left before midnight and through all of our drunkenness, Josh thought that it was my fault that what like there'd been a bit of a dispute at the pub. And so we got back to our room and I decided let's make a cheese board. So I made it in the kitchen. Josh is wasted, wants to go to bed, didn't want to have it. So I cracked it and threw the plate against the wall. So Josh storms out down to the beach. So I'm in the kitchen and I just raged and I was throwing all the plates around. And I remember just falling onto the floor and crying and thinking my life is too hard. I don't want to do this anymore. And I eventually sat there and cried for probably 10 minutes. And then I went out and found Josh and we came back to bed, woke up the next day and I just had the worst anxiety and on the verge of a panic attack. And I just said to Josh, I can't do this anymore. I can't. We're not going to survive. I don't like the person I am. And I started Googling and getting on Instagram how to quit alcohol. And I came up to your Instagram page and I was just <laughs> sitting on the bed and I was sitting on the couch and I was watching, I think it was you and Ash, you might have been at the Pondage going for a walk in Ilden and he heard your voice and he goes, that's Arnie Danny. And I was like, no, 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 this is an Instagram page, like how to quit alcohol. And he's like, yeah, that's my Arnie Danny. And I was like, no, no. <laughs> and then got started sort of looking at what you guys were doing and how to basically trying to find out how do I get sober? How do I quit alcohol? Because I realized that I couldn't keep doing what I was doing. I was going to lose my relationship. My health was not great. And I didn't know what I could potentially do. I couldn't trust myself. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. Those fights. Oh my God. Mm. Ash and I would have the hugest, hugest fucking fights when we were both trashed a lot of the time, not all the time, but it was just so volatile. Yeah, It was madness. And it got to the point, I've talked about this a lot, but it was like, we were going to break up. Like it was so bad and waking up, not even remembering why we were fighting and then staying pissed off the next day just because (sighs) couldn't remember, but didn't want to admit that. Yeah. Because it had got so escalated yeah. the night before. Yeah, I definitely don't think we would be together if I'd kept drinking. Oh, us either. No way. Mm-hmm. Is it okay to ask, do you have big fights like that still or are they have they simmered down a lot now? They've simmered down. Like I know lot. everyone fights. Everybody fights. More what I've sort of had to realise now since becoming a mum is working through mum guilt and being triggered by things like that. Josh and I had a fight a couple of weeks ago. I went to our farm for a night of my own to horse ride and Josh forgot to bath Cooper and it, it just triggered me massively. And so we ended up having a fight about that. But then I realized a couple of days later, it wasn't to do with him. It was more me feeling like oh, I shouldn't have gone to the farm. I shouldn't have left him. So mm. that was more on me. But apart from that, we don't really fight. So it has helped massively. How did Josh take your not drinking? How's he with that? Because he likes a tip. Yeah, he does. He does. <laughs> He's actually really supportive. At no point has Josh ever said to me, oh, you're just going to have one or do you want a wine? Or as soon as I said to him, I'm not drinking, He's never questioned it further. I do find my family still obviously like, when are you going to start drinking? Or when my brother's wedding was coming up last year, oh, but are you going to drink? I was like, I don't drink. I just don't drink. So that's hard from my family, but from Josh, so supportive, which is fantastic because I think if he was somebody that was trying to drink push me, maybe I wouldn't be able to stick with it, but he's been great. Amazing. So you said that early on, you said to the family, I'm just having a month off. When did you get to the point where you let them know, actually, I don't drink anymore? Well, I just sort of said to them that the next thing was I wanted to get pregnant. So I wanted to get my body right. And leading into wanting to have kids while I was drinking, a long time I thought, how am I going to be sober for nine months? I just didn't think that that would be me. And even for a long time, I didn't think I wanted to have kids because how do you not drink for nine months? So once I decided that I was doing my 30 days and then in the back of my mind, I knew I didn't want to go back to drinking, certainly not heavy drinking, but I just continually say, oh, I was pregnant, then I'm breastfeeding. Now we're sort of waiting. We want to try and have a baby again in the not too distant future. So I have said I don't like drinking, but I'm probably not as firm about just straight up saying to them, I'm not a drinker. I find it easier telling people that I meet or my friends, no, I'm not drinking than my family because it does make me feel like I don't fit in. I had them say to me before, and I know they say it in jest, but it does hit a nerve. Oh, you're not fun. You're not as fun as you used to be. Why can't you just have one? And I haven't really said to them, I don't trust myself when I drink. That's why I can't have one. I don't know what I'm going to do when I drink. 
that's why I can't just have one. I would love to be the kind of person who could just have one glass of wine and it'd be one glass, but that's not me. I'd love to do some CI work with you around that and those triggers one day because it's yeah. so powerful to really be able to unpack that and to sit with that part of you that feels, yeah. oh, what's it like to be judged? What's it all about? Or are they really, you know, and mm-hmm. what do I make that mean about myself? Or where does that mm-hmm. come from? Just I think a, a lot of, of it comes down to, you know, not feeling like you're good enough. Yeah. If you don't fit in, oh, I'm not good enough. Everybody else is drinking, so I should have to drink. Do you think not fitting in came from being the only sister out of five brothers? Probably a bit. I think as well, I'm working with my therapist at the moment about working on life traps. And part of something that is a trigger for me is when I was growing up, my mum, obviously, you know, having a lot of babies, you have to focus on the baby. And me being the eldest, it was sort of my job to look after the next sibling. My dad was working overseas, so we didn't see a lot of him. And we had nannies that would look after us. So I grew up thinking that I wasn't as important as the next baby or I didn't feel as much love or support, which of course, that's not true, but that's how I took things on. That was my interpretation of the world. So having that real need to fit in, well, how can I fit in? How can I make people like me? Or And a lot of that was, well, I can drink and I could drink a lot. And that was a fun thing to do and be the life of the party. And so that was a way that I felt connection and I felt good enough and worthy. Yeah. It's a big one, isn't it? Mm, it is. It's a big one to unpack and it's so triggering sometimes when you get those little comments or mm. it's hard, but it's good once you kind of stand your ground and say, no, I just don't do that anymore. They get over it eventually. Yeah. And it does make it a lot easier. I remember listening to a discussion with you and Ash, one of his band people or something was saying, oh no, Ash doesn't drink. Mm. To just say, I don't drink is so much easier than when I was trying to moderate and I'd go out and think, okay, I'm going to have two wines. Or I'm going to have one vodka and then one soda water. Or I'd put an alarm on my phone. At this time, I'm going to go home. And trying to do all those strategies to be able to moderate your drinking and just failing and not being able to do it and getting blackout drunk again. Just saying, oh, I'm not a drinker. I don't drink. It's, it's so, so much, much easier. easier. Yeah. So much it, easier. It often just shuts the conversation down. It's and often good. people are really fascinated by it. Mm. they're like wow yeah I've experienced people come and then talk to me about somebody they might know who suffers addiction or that they're trying to get sober or what did I do to quit drinking or asking for advice and so I'm probably not as open with my sobriety journey up until this point but it is quite reassuring when you are able to help somebody and that's why I thought it would be good to have a chat today because Mm. if you can help one person on their journey then it's worth it. Absolutely. And Mm. just to know that you can come from both sides of the family, Josh's family, which is my family, and then your family, all big drinkers, and that you can do it. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I don't really have any sober friends. I don't really know anybody. I would say like when I first started to get sober, I did listen. I used Audible because I like going for walks and I would listen to Quit Lit. So, you know, the Quit Like a Woman, Sober Curious, The Unexpected Joy of Being Sober, these kind of books Mm -hmm. I would listen to and try and educate myself. And I got onto a, I had looked into AA meetings, but I didn't quite identify as an alcoholic, but I had a problem with drinking. So I found an app, I Am Sober, and I just got on that and used sort of the online community for support. And yeah, that was really helpful. Yeah, that's so amazing. So cool. So you've made the decision, you've decided I'm not going to do this anymore. How did that feel like going into that great unknown? And how did you sort of set it up for yourself to succeed early on, like when you're going to family gatherings? Or I know you said with the families that I'm taking some time off, but when you felt you would have felt the cravings and the urges. So how did you how did you get through those and get yourself through? Yeah, it's definitely the start is really hard trying to learn or unlearn habits, really, and being able to be in a social situation and not have a drink and feeling socially awkward, but just sitting with the feeling and thinking it's okay, like I'm okay. I definitely found that app helped me, especially like I said earlier with I had my best friend's birthday at a wine and cocktail bar. And when we walked in, they had one of those all the champagne glasses with champagne pouring over it and they were all free and they'd come and give them to us and going on my way there I was getting an Uber and I put in this app I'm on my way to this party I know if I can get through this one event I'm going to be okay like wish me luck does anyone have any tips and people were saying like you can do it 
have mocktails or and just say you're not drinking and I'd already told my best friend before the event that I wasn't going to be drinking and she was fine about that and when I was there it was very intimidating and I felt very anxious but I ordered a mocktail as soon as I got down so as soon as I got there and sat down so I had something in my hands and then when everybody else arrived and they're like let's get around this let's get that I just said oh no I've already got my drink and that got me through that night and then sorry could I just jump in how did that feel afterwards on your way home from that event yeah so good I was so pumped I was so proud of myself for getting through it and it had been hard and I found one of the biggest things since stopping drinking is when you were out before you would have alcohol and that would give you energy and so I could stay up all night no dramas now it gets to nine o'clock and I'm at a dinner and I think gosh I'd love to be at home in bed so that was (laughs) definitely yeah that was definitely I made sure that I stayed for the entire evening and we went to a bar after and Everybody else had some more drinks, but I was pretty mellow and ready to go. And that I actually had one of my friends recently say to me, since I've quit alcohol, when we go out, it's very different because I was always the sort of drink pusher or, you know, if we were going to pre-drinks or together, depending on how I was, they would know what the night's going to be like. So if I was really up and about and having a lot of drinks, they knew it was a big night. And I had never really thought of that before. I was a bit like, oh, okay. I didn't realize that that was everyone. Yeah, but everybody was having a fun time. So that was, yeah, a bit confronting. (laughs) Absolutely. When you actually realise that you're the instigator, Mm. oh, it's like, wow, gee. (laughs) I thought everyone was as big a drinker as I was, but no. Yeah, definitely. When I went to the farm for the first time without drinking and I'd said to my family, I actually bought a slab of non-alcoholic beverages so that then at least I had a drink with me. And when we were there and we were all drinking, I had my drink in my stubby holder and nobody knew if it was alcoholic or not. And so it sort of stopped the questions a lot. And I felt like I was still included because I was still having a drink. It sort of looked a bit alcoholic-like. So that really got me through in the first sort of month, two months. Amazing. And no one said, no one said, what are you drinking tonight? After a little bit, people were like, what is that? And I just say, oh, it's non-alcoholic. And oh, why don't you just have an alcohol drink? And I was like, well, I'm not drinking. Oh, okay. But it sort of stopped, like it made me feel included and it stopped the questions to start with. I think if I'd gone straight into it with like a water in my hand and had the questions, I might have been like, oh, yeah, no, you're right. Give me a drink. Whereas having that feeling like I was included, it sort of stopped Mm. that. Mm. It's so important to have something in your hand, like you said earlier, and (laughs) arm yourself. And like you said, that's a great tip as well. As soon as you get where you're going, order your drink. So whenever someone asks, you say, no, no, I'm good, thanks. I've got a drink. And that keeps you in the driver's seat. It's really important. Yeah, that's been a massive tip. Even now, when I don't feel like drinking now, I would never really go and order a wine or order a cocktail or anything but whenever I get somewhere I always at least get a soda water so that I have something in my hand because you do just feel a bit socially awkward yeah that's right and it's okay yeah yeah I've talked about my social awkwardness as well a lot on the podcast and now I'm just okay with that that's just like my little friend yeah (laughs) my little protector that says hey we feel a bit nervous right now and it's like yeah okay that's okay. I also try and remember like everybody else is nervous as well. So once people start to get drunk, they don't notice that you're not drunk. So That's then right. it sort of gets a bit easier to a point until when drunk people get up in my face, I'm a bit like, yeah, this is my time to go. Yeah. And I made sure I had strategies like that at the start. You know, if I had something that I was invited to, I knew that I could leave if I started to feel tired or anything like that. And I mean, we also went back into a lockdown down here in Melbourne. So we were lucky in that we had our farm. We were still working being a construction company in Melbourne. And then on the weekends, we still had animal health and husbandry to look after with our cattle having calves and the horses and that. But with that came well, everybody was drinking there. So that was a little bit tricky. But once Mm. I had my strategies and my non-alcoholic beverages, I could get through. How did it feel for you after the first few sessions or the very first session with your family where you're drinking the etched sparklings Mm. and then waking up the next day with a clear head, without the hangover? Mm. How did that feel? heaven like you cannot put a price on waking up clear-headed and like I know you love getting up and seeing a sunrise and I'm the same and there were times at the farm 
where I would be getting up, I horse ride. So I'd be getting up with a throbbing headache and feeling sick. I remember trying to catch my horse one day and I was throwing up because I was so hungover and I'm wondering why the horse doesn't want to come near me. So, and like horse riding is my favorite thing to do and I would be riding, absolutely hating it. So now being able to wake up and especially those early days, waking up early, nobody else is up. I've got quiet time. I got into yoga watch the sunrise, have my breakfast in peace and my coffee and go out for a ride. And I'd have basically lived a day before anybody else was even out of bed. And it was beautiful. Just you saying that morning ritual, I feel my nervous system just go, ah, bliss. Like what a beautiful way to be as opposed to that throwing up and feeling that horrible anxiety. And yeah. I found as well, since having Cooper, I did get postnatal anxiety and I, that's when I got in touch with this therapist that we've been doing a lot of work on childhood trauma and triggers mm. for drinking and things like that. And one of the biggest things that I started doing in the last probably eight months is meditation and journaling. Mm-hmm. And previously I would have laughed if anybody said that I would end up doing that. Mm-hmm. And now it's a non-negotiable. So I know Ash has spoken before about like pillars that help mm-hmm. him get through. And for me, that is definitely doing some kind of exercise, whether it be a walk, some yoga, something to move your body. Journaling and meditation has been a massive help. Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the things that I'd really recommend and sort of Mm. suggest to people is that any kind of movement, moving your body, meditation, mindfulness, and journaling, like they're just Mm. those three things and gratitude practice, obviously, as well. But Mm. that's all the difference. And it kind of gives you something to get up for the next day. I think you need something to get up for and you need something to be working on that's rewarding so that you wake up in the morning and you feel, wow, this feels so good. Yeah, as opposed to how it felt before. That's what drives me. And it still does drive me to this day. I'd never have forgotten how it felt to wake up hating myself and having the anxiety. And I think just never again, it's just, it's not worth it. No. And I even think now, like, obviously, you know, we went to Bali over new year and we got Bali belly. I didn't get it too badly, but the feeling I had was like, as if I was hungover. And I said to Josh, I could never drink again because this feeling now feels like being hungover and I have a baby to look after. Mm-hmm. I just could not even fathom feeling unwell myself and then trying to look after my child. Oh, it's so different. So different. So and it's so amazing, isn't it? Just to oh, yeah, how <laughs> oh look, and I remember having the two kids or being hungover as hell and Ash being away and having to deal with the kids in the morning yeah. and just oh just some mornings were just hideous, just awful. And now the mornings are beautiful with the kids. They yeah. still annoy me a bit. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't change. It doesn't matter how much gratitude practice you do, honestly. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I've got to be honest. So how did it also land with your friends, especially when you're the instigator mm. and obviously the person that's kind of bringing the party? How mm. have they coped with this new you? Everyone's quite supportive with my friends. They, a lot of them had moved sort of into the next cycle of life of having kids as well. So a lot of my girlfriends would be pregnant. So I'm almost an ally. I'm not drinking. They're pregnant. So that sort of made things a bit easier. They're not really in that life cycle anymore of let's go out and get smashed. We sort of moved past that. I find now if we go to a dinner and everybody's getting wine and I just say, no, I'm not drinking, there's no judgment or no Mm. sort of pushing. I have had a few people who aren't as close and don't know that I'm sober say, oh, do you want to just have one or you can have some of mine or do you want to taste this? And I just say, oh, no, I'm okay. Thank you. And that's pretty much it. So Mm. luckily there hasn't been any drink pushes or bullies trying to make me drink out of my friendship circle, which is really nice. Yeah, amazing. So Mm. good, so good. Are you meeting other young mums? Like I know that could be a thing, that sort of Mm. mummy wine culture that everyone talks about. Yeah, that is a bit of a tricky one. When I met my mum group, we were at the park with the kids and having, you know, chats and one of the girls said, oh, next time we should go to the pub, let's do a Friday night, we can have some wines and I was feeling quite anxious because the whole conversation had sort of been around drinking. And while I was sharing previous nights out and clubs we used to go to and having a bit of a laugh, inside I knew I'm going to have to tell these girls that I don't drink anymore and that might make them not like me or not want to be my friend or not invite me or whatever. Mm. And so it got to the end of the conversation and they brought that up and I just said, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm sober. And they were all a bit like, oh, 
really? And I said, yeah, I just, I don't drink anymore. I can't drink. One of them sort of asked why. And I said, oh, look, I just sort of think of it like in your life, you're given so many drink tickets and I already used all mine. So now I can't drink anymore. And I just said, it's not for me. I can't do it. I don't want to do it with Cooper. So you know, you guys can all drink and I'm more than happy to come and I'll have my soda water or my mocktail, but mm. it's just not for me. And and then they were fine. Sometimes in the group, it will come up about, oh, I can't wait for a glass of wine or, you know, on Instagram, friends will be posting a picture of a wine and thank God the kids are in bed. Like I've deserved this. And that just isn't for me. Yeah. Mm. And that's fine. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, good for them if that's what they want to do. But for me personally, I couldn't do it. And my anxiety, even thinking about it, starts to kick up so that just doesn't align with me and and Mm. I think as well like I sort of mentioned earlier like my mum being a big drinker growing up I always or me and my brothers really tried to push her into sobriety and I mean the old saying you can lead a horse to water but you can't make it drink like you can't force another person into sobriety or Mm. to want to change they have to want it for themselves that was really frustrating for a long time with my mum we didn't understand why why can't you just not drink? It's not that hard. And I think once I had Cooper, the way that I felt about my mum's drinking, I thought, well, I don't want to almost be hypocritical now and I'm going to be drinking and I'm going to go get drunk when growing up I didn't like seeing that in my mum. So I don't want to display that for my child. Like I want to be the best example of a parent that I can be. Mm. And my mum's been amazing. Like, Mm. don't get me wrong. She's a great mother. She had some trauma in her childhood that I don't think has been processed. And that's, and like I said earlier, you know, I think addiction is hereditary. So that's her journey. That's her story. And for me, I want to be the best example I can be. And hopefully by not drinking, I can show Cooper that you don't have to drink and you certainly don't have to drink to excess. You can choose however you want to live your life and whoever you want to be, but you don't have to be pushed into drinking or drink to fit in. Yeah, absolutely. You could choose. We This is a great thing about life. We get to choose. Yeah. And it's really important to realise, are we drinking to appease other people or are we doing it for ourselves? And it's a really important question for people to ask themselves, Are they, especially if they've been sober for a while and they're feeling this pull to drink again, well, who's it mm. actually about? Is it because I want to do it or is mm. it because I'm wanting to please other people? So yeah. many drinkers are people pleasers. 100%. And that's when I tried to have a glass of wine at the races. I was thinking, oh, maybe I'll fit back in. Maybe I'll be able to have a glass of wine here and there. And when I drank it, I really thought about, am I enjoying this? Am I enjoying the taste? Am I enjoying what it's doing to my body? What am I wanting out of this? And as I was thinking about those questions and having my half glass, it didn't taste good. My body didn't feel good. I didn't want to be doing it. So I just thought, no, 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 this is not for me. And I'm glad that I tried because for a long time, I thought, oh, I just love a glass of rosé. And now I don't have that pull at all. There is not an alcohol that I want to have a glass of anything. So it was really good to sort of have that cemented in my mind. I don't want anything. I don't have the craving for anything. Well, I think this brings up a really interesting conversation too around if you're still drinking, try and be really, really mindful. Or if Mm. you're toying with the idea of if you've had some time off and then drinking again, really be mindful whilst you drink. And Mm. really tune into what's my body telling me. I know, you know, you may or may not get the dopamine dump that happens, but also how do I feel afterwards? What does my body tell me? What's the feedback I'm getting from my body when I drink this? You can feel the poison in your body. I feel it with certain foods now because I'm so in tune with my body now Mm. and listen to what it's telling me. And that comes with the more mindfulness you work on, the more meditation, the more that kind of stuff, the more you do of that, the more in tune you become with yourself. Yeah. So you notice every little thing, every interaction, the body's constantly giving us feedback. Mm. So I think for people listening, I think that's a really important thing to think about. Or if you're thinking about quitting and you've set the date, mm. then try some mindful drinking leading up to the date and just see how it feels in the body. Really tune yeah, in. Definitely. It will tell you so much. How awesome that you were able to listen to your body and respond and go, because yeah. a lot of people are so disconnected that they mm. don't tune in. I'd also loved being a red wine drinker 
And my dad loves red wine. He gets it sent from different wineries around Australia. And it was a big connection with us being at the farm or at his house for dinner and getting a nice bottle of wine. And he'd always be like, oh, Lise, how good is this wine? I don't know. It's going to get me pissed. Like I just didn't really know a lot about wine, but I really enjoyed that connection that we had. And so towards, again, the end of my drinking, when I was starting to have those thoughts, I would think about it as I was drinking the wine. Am I actually enjoying the taste of this? And I didn't really enjoy it. I didn't know any fancy words or Mm. any aromas or, you know, I didn't know any of that. I was just sort of doing it because I was feeling a good connection. And the connection part is something that I miss sitting down with my dad and having a glass of wine. And that's probably perhaps the only thing I miss is feeling that bond and, oh, we're sharing a glass of wine together. And he's caring about my opinion about this bottle of wine. Other than that, I don't miss any alcohol or, and, and to be honest, the thought of drinking red wine right now makes me want to hurl there's just nothing I'd want to do to drink it (laughs) do you drink alcohol free wines no I have tried I've tried some I got the alcohol free rosé in my early days of not drinking to take to the farm I did find it it was very sugary but I found it a little bit almost risky with the rosé because I felt like what if I accidentally have proper rosé and I don't realize and then I'm back to drinking and Even in the early days, I would have nightmares about drinking and wake up and think, oh no, like I've I've ruined everything. And then I'd realize it was just a nightmare. But Mm. the alcohol-free wine just hasn't really hit the spot. I'm, to be honest, pretty happy with a Coca-Cola. And even now with my family, like when we had Cooper's birthday a week ago, everybody else was having a drink and I said, oh, I'm going to get a Coca-Cola. And my family are always like, ooh. And I sort of just play into it. And I'm like, yeah, mum's about to get wild. I'm having like one Coca-Cola. So that sort of is enough for me. And that's almost like my trait now because obviously I'm a little bit caffeine sensitive. I don't want to be awake all night. I'm already awake with the baby. So having a Coca-Cola or soda water mm. gets me through. Absolutely. Yeah. I got actually hit up quite a bit on Instagram the other day. I posted, I hosted a ladies lunch here with some women that just live Mm. in our street, in our neighborhood. It was beautiful. And I could never have imagined doing anything like that before. Mm. Really, even when I was a drinker, I just would have got shit faced. Yeah, I have had my neighbours over and got completely <laughs> shit-faced because yes. I would have been nervous. Yes. And I didn't feel nervous at all because I'm so much more confident now because of mm. probably the work I've done on myself. I was expecting to feel nervous, but I really didn't. I didn't feel nervous at all. It was great. I mm. had a beautiful time. There was two women there drinking, but everyone else was drinking, like doing Feb Fast or just yeah. bringing mocktails. I didn't. I certainly didn't push that on them. Mm. But then anyway, I got a lot of questions afterwards asking about the non-alcoholic wines, but I didn't actually drink them. And that that's when I always suggest people go and speak to Amy Armstrong from Dry But Wet. That's her mm. Instagram handle because she knows all the good wines for mm. people. But I find them a bit triggering for me, the wine mm. taste. But also Joshua, mm. your partner, mm. texts me the other day. He's like, honey, Danny, I'm cooking dinner. And is it okay if I use wine? <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was so cute that he asked. Yeah. I said, look, it's fine if you cook it off. That's, that's, yeah. that's totally fine. But I use non-alcoholic stuff from Coles for my oh, okay. for my cooking. But I thought that was really cute that he asked. Um, He's adorable. He's very supportive. And even at Christmas time, he was making a Bailey's cheesecake something or other to take to Arnie Nat's house for Christmas lunch. And I saw the bottle of Bailey's and I said, what? what are you doing with this? And he said, oh, I'm cooking. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I can have that. I don't drink. And then he was on the phone and Googling and having a look and no, no, if I cook it, it's fine. It was delicious, but I could taste a little bit of the Bailey's hint. And I just thought that I don't like that. I mean, we have alcohol in the house. I have still a lot of bottles of wine that people have given me and I just never drank. So they're in a cupboard and at some point I'll probably give them most likely back to my family. (laughs) Mm. But we still have alcohol through the house and people come over and drink. And that's, I don't find it like, oh, because it's here, I might drink it. Mm. I'm sort of past that now. So in the early days, I didn't want it. I didn't want to see it right in my face. I didn't want there to be unopened wine or open wine. I didn't want anything in the fridge. But certainly now I feel like I'm past that stage. Yeah, yeah, us too, definitely. So it sounds to me as though you've learnt to, which is one thing I bang on about constantly, you know, sit with the uncomfortable feelings Mm. that show up and therefore you kind of 
don't succumb to the triggers that happen. Mm. Even if you are socially awkward or you desperately want to fit in, if we can acknowledge those feelings and sit with them and be with them, feel them in our body, Mm. can I ride this out? Then we're not having that knee-jerk reaction to kind of get rid of it. And even the grief, Mm -hmm. like you said, when the grief shows up, letting it be there, letting it do its thing and not trying Mm -hmm. to push it away, then we're just in such a better position. We're in the driver's seat of life, Mm -hmm. really. Absolutely. And I think that is what life is. It's ups and downs. And you can't always feel great. That's just part of life. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I think so often when it came to my drinking, I was wanting to numb out of my life. And my life is fantastic. It's amazing. Why do I want to be numb from this? Even when it is bad times and even when I have bad days thinking about my brother and missing him, I know that that's not a feeling that's going to go on forever. Mm. I am going to come out the other side. Maybe I just need to go and do some meditation or go for a walk or have a really good cry. Mm. And that's okay. Tomorrow is going to be a better day. So Mm. you just got to get through it. Absolutely. You just Mm. have to feel it. That's just what has to happen. Like we have yep. to feel it. It's there for a reason. So again, like I say, I bang on about this all the time, but I really think that's the crux of this. Mm, you know, rather definitely. than ignoring what's showing up and trying to busy it away, drink it away, just to be with it and acknowledge it and yeah. let it be felt. Yeah, it, for sure. Puts us back into control. And then I think no trigger ever can really fuck with you. Yeah, definitely. And it is about feeling like you're back in control of your own life. I didn't Mm. like the person I was when I was drinking. I didn't trust that person. Mm. So that person isn't going to control me anymore. I'm in control of my life and I want to enjoy my life. Mm, That's so good. It's so good. And one thing we'll wrap up shortly, but one thing I was talking with one of my groups about the other day was you have a trigger and then from that trigger, you have an emotional response Mm. and then you have an action. So before it would have been drinking and then you have an outcome which mm. is usually the shame and the anxiety, the regret, the hangover, all the rest of it. And sometimes even worse, depending on what's happened in between there. But mm. now if it's like we're triggered, we have an emotion, we choose a different action now, which is to sit with it or to respond mm. by going for a walk or having a different sort of a drink. Mm. And we have a completely different outcome. Yeah, absolutely. And the outcome is waking up feeling connected and feeling good about ourselves. And then next time we get triggered, we can remember... Okay, getting triggered, having the emotion. Oh, that's right. Last time I had a different outcome because I chose a different action. Yeah. Yeah. And it changes everything just by choosing a different action. So think this is for people listening. And just like what you've been sharing with us, Elise, is that if you choose a different action, we have a completely different outcome. And Mm. then once we have a few of those different outcomes, we're back in control and we realize Mm. we're in control here. So Mm. I think that's a really important thing to put across and, and see it like that. Life is all about our actions and our outcomes. Mm. So we want to choose good, informed, conscious actions and change the action, change the outcome. I think that's the, yeah. So that's awesome. Like absolutely awesome. In closing, what would you say to someone that has a big family of drinkers, that their Mm. partner has a big family of drinkers and you want Mm. to make the change, but you kind of this sort of the black swan there. What advice would you give to someone who's feeling a bit trapped in that? I think definitely educate yourself and if you don't have anybody in your life who is sober, get online and have a look at Instagram. Like I said, that I Am Sober app, that really helped me in the first couple of months because it was also anonymous. So I felt like, oh, I don't want everyone to know that I'm not drinking because what if I do drink and then I Mm. fail? So I really use that to help me and say to people, I'm doing a challenge or do a challenge for 30 days and see how you feel Mm. after that. But really listen to yourself and what you want to do. And if it doesn't feel like it's right for you, then don't do it. Don't be bullied into it. And it's okay to not feel okay. Yeah, it's okay to not feel Mm. okay. And if you could go back in time and sit with your 16-year-old self, what advice would you give her? What would you say to her? you don't have to fit in. You don't have to drink to feel like you fit in. There's so many other good things about you and to you, mm-hmm. not how much you drink that doesn't define you. And again, life can be hard and it is going to be hard, but you're a strong person and you can get through it. And there's people that will love and support you. You just have to find them. Oh, you nearly made me cry then. That's so beautiful. <laughs> it doesn't have to define you. Absolutely. Yeah. And you can find other ways to fit in. Oh, Elise, that was so beautiful. Thank you so much. I'm so looking forward to our next family gathering. (laughs) You and I can sit there. (laughs) Being all sober and smug in the corner. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Just wait until everybody else starts passing out. (laughs) 
<laughs> and we'll be off there doing yoga in the morning together. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Thank you so, so much for coming on and sharing your story today. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been great. Awesome. Thanks. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.